You're listening to The Driven, the podcast that gives you the news and the views, the ins and the outs on electric vehicles. The Driven is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy and The Driven websites, and is brought to you by ZeroMo, a non-profit initiative helping transition to battery-powered lawn and gardening equipment and electric vehicles using 100% renewable energy. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of The Driven Podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson and I'm the founder and editor of The Driven website and also its sister site reneweconomy.com.au. Well, last week we had a fascinating interview with Michelle Nazari, the founder and CEO of Fonzarelli Cycles, the makers of electric scooters and mopeds in Australia. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to that interview, I do suggest you go back through our back catalogue, either on the website or on your favourite podcast platform and and have a listen. It was really, really interesting story and tales of some of the trials and tribulations of setting up manufacturing in a new industry in Australia and some of the possibilities that may lie ahead. Well, today we've got another interesting interview with someone in the very same business. Not so much electric scooters and mopeds, but electric motorbikes, the full thing. And this is Savage Motorcycles. Now, they've been running undercover for a few years and little has been known about them. But Nigel Morris, a contributor to the Driven and Renew Economy websites and my co-host on the Solar Insiders podcast, managed to track Dennis down. And this is the interview that follows. Please listen now to Nigel Morris and Dennis Savage, the CEO and founder of Savage Motorcycles. Dennis, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for joining us. And actually, I have to say thanks for delighting every electric motorcyclist in Australia. We're, we're a small but enthusiastic bunch. And it's, it's so exciting to, have, uh, to know that someone's down there trying to, trying to make this a reality. So let's start right at the beginning. Tell us about your background, Dennis. Where, where did you come from and how did you suddenly end up with an electric motorcycle manufacturing business in Melbourne? Yeah, um, well, I guess the, the first point I'll make is it, it definitely wasn't sudden. It was um, something, it's just something I've wanted to do from a young age. So, you know, when you're in high school and, and people ask you what you want to do and what you want to study, if you want to study, um, I chose to do engineering and when I was asked why, I said so that I could design and build my own vehicles one day with the hope of selling them and um, you know, through my engineering degree I started studying entrepreneurship and, and, and business and um, I guess I, I always had a, a passion for motorcycles. My final year project was in was a chassis design for a motorcycle at, at uni and electric motorcycles were a gap in the market. Um, at that point and I was just lucky because I've already been I guess yeah even in high school I was thinking about electric vehicles and my dad's a bit of an advocate for them as well and kind of got me into them so it's been a long time coming um that's that's for sure (laughs) well good on you good on you and so where where are you up to now you've you've I've read about I've seen the photos of the prototype I, I I see that uh you you're taking reservations now where are you up to in terms of your team and 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 manufacturing Yep, so to date we, we're a team of, of relatively young, passionate engineers. Um, all of us still work full-time, so this is still, or to this point, has been a, a side hustle in effect, and we work nights and weekends. Um, so where we're at at the moment is, as you saw, we launched the concept prototype, which we called the C40 at Moto Expo. 
um, and I got to say thank you to the organisers of that because they were so incredibly supportive of having us there and having our launch there. Um, and I guess the next stage is well, we're on the tail end of production design, and so through 2018 we had a few key milestones to achieve, and one of those was you know a concept vehicle. We had to establish some kind of a supply chain and develop a compliance plan and and all those other good things and so we did all that so you know now we're working with um, a, a vast number of Taiwanese suppliers for, for motorcycle components and we're also co-developing our powertrain with um, a company over there and um, we hope to start manufacturing the first production prototype in the next eight weeks if everything goes to plan um, Wow! so yeah it's it's been a very busy time for everyone, but um, yes, the, the next phase is, is hugely exciting. It's getting serious now, mate. Yeah, now, now we actually have to <laughs> deliver bikes. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so I'm going to go through some technical stuff shortly because I know the listeners are going to want to dig into the tech stuff and, and a few other questions. But, yeah, well, what, you know, making anything in Australia is hard. I've been involved in manufacturing in Australia on and off for, for more than 20 years. And, and you look around the space and it's a very hard place to, to, to build stuff from the ground up simply because of the scale of our market. What's your plan? How are you going to make this work? Well, that's, that's a really interesting question and that's something that, um, you know, we've had to think about a lot. So, like I said, we use a number of suppliers out of Taiwan um, and we will manufacture as much as we feasibly can in Australia. Um, but it's like, for example, we want to have some 3D printed components, production metal 3D printed components on our vehicles and those kinds of things you can justifiably do in Australia. Right. Um, but things like, like getting the chassis made, um, you're looking at an order of magnitude and cost difference, um, between getting it made locally and getting it made overseas. Um, sure. And the reason why we picked Taiwan was because they do have, um, well, they are known for quite high quality work. Um, they're definitely more expensive than, than China, but not as expensive as Japan. So find the right suppliers overseas, choose the best quality you can whilst keeping the price down to an affordable point, and Correct. then engineer it and build it in Australia. Is that, is that kind of it in a nutshell? Yep, so we've, we develop everything locally um, and yep. we'll be assembling everything locally. Yep, got it, got it, got it. Cool. And, and last year, um, I wrote a little piece um, uh, looking at the, the, the challenges of, 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 that face all electric motorcycle manufacturers globally. You know, my, my guess is there's about 5,000 proper motorcycles. I'm not talking scooters, I'm not talking China. <laughs> I'm talking proper performance motorcycles yeah. that you know are, are decent machines um, with decent range and decent performance and i reckon there's about five thousand a year currently made and and you know it goes up and down a bit but right um I, i'm interested in in what how you're going to position in that market it's a pretty small market how do you, how do you plan to make your business work and your bike fit into that global market given that it's such a niche that's, that's a really good question. Um, personally, I, I don't... I've, I've never really seen it that way. So I, I don't see us competing in the electric motorcycle market. I see us competing in the, in the motorcycle market. 
um, you know, when I look at sales figures, I don't look at electric motorcycle sales figures. I look at all motorcycle sales figures. Um, so, you know, I, I look at a company like Harley and, and data, you know, is, is only available. I th I'm not sure what the rule is. You might know this better than I do. Um, but from what I've understood, the information that the FCAI provide um, is only what OEMs choose to share. That's that's something someone said to me once from the FCAI, and I'm not sure if the ABS are, are any different. But um, you know, I look at the numbers of of Ducatis and Harleys, and you know, Harley will sell in Australia alone a thousand units of one particular model, and they might have you know. <laughs> 10 20 models um in a year so yep. um I, I like to plan based on those numbers because our our bikes that we're designing yes they're electric but we don't necessarily you know compete with other electric bikes we, we try and compete with all bikes because mm -hmm. in in my mind you know the fact that our vehicles are electric is is just a bonus as far as we're concerned so we you know our philosophy is we focus on the design. We, you know, we we want to nail the aesthetics. We really want to make stunning-looking vehicles. Um, we want to have a really strong brand in Australia and a reputable brand. Um, and then we need to have comparable performance. You know, even with um, petrol vehicles. Now, obviously, because we're direct drive, there's a trade-off between acceleration and and top speed. Um, sure. So you know, we will probably will never compete with you know the likes of an r1 in terms of top end performance but at the end of the day um yes we have you know people like yourself who are extremely passionate about electric vehicles and that's that's great um and you know the electric vehicle industry won't wouldn't be where it is now with without enthusiasts um but in terms of growth and, and scalability the product really has to compete you know on a on a larger scale so when i look at sales figures th those are the numbers i look at gotcha gotcha that's really interesting and i know i know that's a philosophy that zero i've had for a long time as well and, and in fact they get criticized a lot for the conventional look of their bike um and a lot of people uh, owners have come out previously and said why don't you make it look you know more <laughs> fantastic or more futuristic and and you know when you dig into it you often find that you know what's driving them is they want it to be acceptable they want it to look like when it goes on a showroom floor they just want it to look like another bike so that it so that it's in that same space so you you're not alone in your thinking there and i, I well I, in terms I, of um, in terms of design philosophy we definitely take a different approach to to zero um mm. and and i think their bikes look you know look good i, I don't think you know there's, there's no way I, I don't well everyone has their own opinions right so sure. um there's there was a number of people who didn't like our our concept bike design but the vast majority loved what we designed and what we built um mm -hmm. and so my kind of approach to the design and we have a great designer our lead designer is dave hendroff um and he's actually an extended relative of mine who's been sketching bikes existing bikes for a long long time and i kind of turned to him one day and i just said have you ever created your own bike and he said no i haven't so that's kind of where that relationship started and i essentially gave him the overall dimensions and the the design scope was create something stunning and something that 
people haven't really seen before. You know, we wanted to be different in terms of aesthetic um, mm -hmm. and, and drastically. We, we wanted it to really stand out and, and we definitely got that response at, the, at Moto Expo last year. I think you nailed it, mate. I, I haven't seen it in, I haven't had the pleasure of seeing it in the flesh yet. I look forward to that very, very soon. But from just what I've seen and the reaction that I've seen from people on social media is you've, you've done a great job and it is a unique yeah, and cool looking bike. So well done, well done. So, so tell me, you know, what, what do you think the barrier is? I know you're, you're saying, look, I'm just going to go into the bike space. We're going to try and build something that's got comparable performance in the right niches and the right places. But What's the biggest barrier, in your view, to, to people buying electric bikes? Is it purely about price? Um, possibly. Well, I guess there's barriers on, on two fronts, right? There's, there's barriers for, for customers to be able to buy them, and there's barriers for, for OEMs to actually make them. Um, and so, some of those barriers, you know, apply to both ends. So... Um, when it comes to cost, that's that's definitely one of the barriers from both sides of the argument. So, you know, if if you're a traditional OEM and you have, you know, distributors and and retailers and and maybe a, a third tier of distribution in between that, or and and everyone, you know, needs to take a bit of that. Then, if you have a vehicle that has a cost of manufacture of, of ten thousand or thirteen thousand dollars you're looking at a forty thousand dollar price tag for the end user um so yeah that's it's quite simple really from that that f point of view um and then obviously that high retail price at the end user is the barrier for electric motorcycles being adopted um by by the masses to to make a petrol engine motorcycle i mean we've been doing that for decades and the the science and the engineering behind it has become so advanced that it's just i mean the <laughs> the cost of manufacture is is mind-boggling for people that you know that haven't seen the numbers it's it's absolutely bizarre and and well just something that that i love really i, I love manufacture i like kind of working out how to you know bring that cost of manufacture down um and we don't quite know exactly what our distribution strategy is going to be to overcome that barrier. Um, at this stage and, and at this year, we are delivering bikes direct to customers. Um, and we don't know if we'll go down the distribution route just yet. Um, because the, the more direct we are to customers, the more value we can give them. And, and remain competitive on price. Right, right, yeah. right, right, right. So, so if I'm reading between the lines, then manufacturability, um, yeah, getting getting clever and doing your research so that you can build this thing economically and simply and perhaps modularly to to expand the <laughs> range and all those kinds of things. They're the types of things that are, that you're hoping are gonna gonna help you get this price out, get the bike out at the right price. Is that right? You've pretty much nailed our strategy. So you know, <laughs> we pl we plan on we plan on going to market with with three different models. So the bike that you saw is a concept, and yep. it it gives an indication of the aesthetic that we would like our first production vehicle to have. Um, yep. And while there are minor iterations, there's no major changes. So um, what you see is what you get. But 
you know, we understand that there's there's different tiers to the market. You've got people, you know, who are, who are more than happy to to spend twenty to twenty five thousand dollars on a on a good performance vehicle that they love riding around. There's people that kind of like a, a decent commuter, you know, for fifteen or so grand, and then you've got the the learner end of the spectrum where people are you know just coming into the the motorcycle industry and their budgets, you know, anywhere between five and ten grand or twelve, and so. I kind of wanted to address all those markets with the minimal required investment. So um, our strategy at the moment is vast amounts of commonization of components mm-hmm. um, and we're just going to be delivering different powertrain sizes. Um, yep. Obviously, some of... Oh, so the three tiers that we're coming out with, it, they're called the Alpha, Delta and the Omegas. Um, kind of goes along with the brand. So the Alpha is obviously the, the highest performance spec vehicle. Each of those tiers will have a couple of different battery pack options because every rider is different. They've all got their different requirements. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the and yeah, so the alphas that are the more expensive vehicle, they'll come with some more fruit that that the omegas won't. Um, and that's just just purely from a cost perspective. But for the most part, the architecture of the vehicle remains pretty much constant, which means we, you know we can use the same suppliers. We can. Um, you know, have higher order numbers of the same thing, again, bringing the cost of manufacture down and, and allowing us to, to give that value back to customers. Got it. Uh, got it. I, 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 like, I like it, mate. I like it. It's, and, and it's interesting, the whole... It's interesting that in the electric vehicle space across the world, you look at what Volkswagen are talking about, you look at what almost all electric vehicle manufacturers are talking about, um, um, uh, Energica over in Italy are, are doing a similar thing. Everyone seems to be on this on this modular train now, um, where they realise that if you can get a platform that's modular and adaptable, then you can you can have a range that's that that is readily adaptable. And, and it's one of the beautiful things about EVs because they are inherently so simple in terms of components. Right? You, you <laughs> yes. just can't necessarily do that with a petrol bike because you're dealing with so many more components, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds more components. Yeah. So I like it. Now listen, let's dive into some specs because I know that's <laughs> sure. what people are that's what going to people are going to want to hear about. So I'm going to roll through a bunch of questions and and just hit me with hit me with um, good short sharp and sweet answers on on some of the specs that that I want to know about. Um, so the first one is batteries. Uh, um, are you going um, with the um, uh, what type of uh, battery pack are you going to use? Are you going to use a pouch cell? Uh, are you going to use a can? What are you going to do? Uh, at this stage, we are our, our production assumption is a pouch cell. Yes, pouch cell. Okay, so um, like a number of the motorcycle manufacturers, better for power density, potentially a little bit lower performance, and 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 less volume and slightly higher price. But it's all about power density, right? Um, well, actually, this you can get cells that you know tailor towards the the power density end, and you can get. Uh, I think they our supplier actually does the same size cell, um, but has an energy energy dense version, and the the physics of of the difference between those escape me for the moment. I, yeah, so I can't sure. can't quite answer that, but um, we are using a, a power cell um, that is a pouch yep. cell. Got it. And chemistry, can you can you tell us about chemistry, or you got some secret sauce that you want to keep up your sleeve? Well, um, well, look, we're not a battery manufacturer, so you know we don't have secret sauce, but we are using a, a chemistry that is, uh, if if not identical to Tesla's current strategy, I 
I think it was maybe their last iteration. Um, but yes, we're, we're not quite ready to release that information yet. Got it. I look forward to that. And I mean, this is a really, this is a really interesting um, topic for me because I know coming from the solar industry, um, one of the one of the benefits of being, you know, a smaller, later entrant into a market, com- comparing you, for example, to you know Tesla or, or or Nissan or someone like that, is that you can jump very quickly right to the very latest cutting edge chemistry and technology and packaging whereas the other guys have made investments in production machinery they've made investments that have the you know were three or four years in the planning and so they're locked into certain technologies and exactly the same thing happened in pv but if you're small and nimble and jumping in a little bit later to the party you can leapfrog right to the best tech so you, i reckon you're in a good space there there, um, there is a challenge however if, if you don't mind me jumping in and, and mentioning what what the challenge is like with with smaller companies, um, it's quite difficult to find suppliers who will actually service you at, oh, yeah. at reasonable prices. So if you're oh, a yeah. bigger OEM, you can put an order in for 200, 400, 600,000 units, um, you know, based on your, you know, uh, product projections and, and sales projections. Um, yep. Whereas, you know, I was overseas going to, to suppliers saying, well, maybe we'll make five or ten this year. I, I, I don't know. Um, and we'll need an incredible amount of your time to support us in, in you know, <laughs> making sure we can, you know, bring this thing to market. And most suppliers aren't very tolerant of that, um, right. which which makes sense. Um, but we're very lucky that we've we found a, a very good battery supplier Um an up-and-coming battery supplier actually overseas and we've we've just received some of the test results from their latest cell which we plan on using and um, they look like they'll be quite robust um, cells which is very very exciting awesome awesome yeah. and tell me uh, on your battery pack air cool um, air cooling or liquid cooling ah, so this is the exciting bit so we've actually designed a powertrain for production um, and the powertrain units all self-enclosed, um, self-encompassing. It'll be stressed within the the chassis, and it'll uh-huh. be liquid cooled. Um, nice. So we have liquid cooling channels actually built into um, the powertrain enclosure, running along the bottom and the front um, panel. One side panel at this stage will serve as a air cool plate as well. Um, and then the other side would just be an aesthetic kind of cover. So, um, right. yeah, it's it's actually come a long way. Our initial assumptions were that we would just um, just have air cooling through the whole thing because of the battery pack results. And um, I kind of turned around and said, no, we actually need to pull more power out of this motor and, and hence out of the batteries so they get a bit hotter and we introduced a liquid cooling strategy. Awesome. Um, yeah. Awesome. Because I'm going to tell you right now, you know, I'm watching, I'm watching my fellow zero owners around the world um, struggling just a little bit. I mean, the, the benefit is that we've got simplicity and we've got low cost. And I'm not going to compare you to zero endlessly, mate. I'm <laughs> no, no, I'm that's okay. No, no. I'm only talking about it because there's so many owners and there's such experience with the bikes. And, 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 but we, we're hitting limits now, right? And, and one of the interesting limits that we're starting to hit, we, there are some guys who push the bikes really, really hard and they hit thermal limits in the motors, but that's rarely an issue. 
rea- in reality. And and you rarely, I've never hit a thermal limit on my, well, actually I did on a track once when I was flogging it ruthlessly. But outside of that, I've never hit a limit in, in day-to-day use. However, we are all belting our batteries with increasingly more power for fast charging now. And yes. we are... What we're finding is that if we, you know, um, do a couple of hundred k's on the bike, the battery's warm already because it's being worked hard, and then we arrive and we want to fast charge it. Well, the battery's already warm, and then we hit it with ten or fifteen kilowatts, and the battery says, "No, nah, not taking it, mate. You've overheated me." And there's such dense thermal mass in there that yeah. it just takes ages to cool down. And I know. Um, one of the one of the great brains in Australia in electric motorcycles, a guy called David Hiley, and he tried to race one, and that was the barrier that he faced. It was just a right. huge thermal lump. So, really, really glad to hear you, you're getting liquid cooling in there because I think we're already past the point where air cooling's adequate. Yeah. So well, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, with, I mean, at, at this stage, the, the approach we've taken to the business is, um, you know, we don't just want to build one or ten bikes. We want to be able to have the capacity to produce and and continue to develop about 5,000 bikes a year so um, that's kind of our goal in the next five to ten years is to get to that sales volume and um, because of that approach you know I kind of understand I've done my MBA as well to kind of help gear me up to be able to take this thing from from here to there Um, Mm -hmm. and we've put together a a corporate advisory board that are at this stage just acting as a a board of directors would Um, we're not at a point yet where we really need a board of directors um but one of my advisors and and mentors and he's just a close friend really um who i've known for some time he's you know worked in i won't say who but in a a number of the large automotive companies including some of the um the newer ones over in the u.s and um he's an aero and and has a lot of experience in thermals and that was one of the things that he first said to me he's like all right who's doing your thermal modeling for your battery pack um, so I guess all I'm saying is, is that we, we have some great support behind us to, to be able to deliver a good product. To get that right. Excellent, excellent. And so related topic, tell me about charging. It's the bane of motorcycle existence, electric motorcycle existence. Correct. There's not much real estate. It's very hard to fit a big charger on. Mine has to go in a tank bag um, uh, because right. it's the only place I can fit it on my bike. But I'm, I'm up now at over eight, nearly nine kilowatts of, of charging. Um, but I can't fast de-cheat. Uh, I can't fast charge uh, at high voltage DC. So tell me about your pack voltage and tell me about your onboard charging. Well, tell me about your charging strategy. So, okay. So pack it, voltage. Where are you yeah. heading with pack voltage? So at this stage, our, our pack voltage uh, for the alphas is sitting about the 1 or 132 mark, 130 mark. Yeah, um, okay. And for the omegas we're bringing that down to i think 72 volts yep um for for obvious reasons now so that's that's the the pack voltage um but in terms of charging and charging strategy it's a very similar issue to um to you know finding battery cell supplies we need to find a supplier who's willing to to service us um you know and there's not a lot of them out there because it's such a new technology um, and then on top of that, you add the complexity of not having the, the capital up front for us to develop it ourselves. We, we, we don't have a choice. We have to rely on a supplier who, who already makes, you know, 
those specific or similar products and ask them to maybe modify their existing products to suit our needs. Um, so at this stage, we, we've decided that we're going to hold off finalizing that decision for production. Um, the first 10 vehicles that we're building, we're calling them the Founder Edition vehicles. They're the first production vehicles that we'll, we'll ever make. There's only 10 available. We've got four orders, which is amazing. Um, and, you know, we've the, the current base specification states that, you know, it'll just be standard wall plug charging. Um, and they're, they're 1.8 kilowatt chargers that plug straight into your wall. Um, mm. The max pack capacity at this point in time um, is is 10.2. Um, mm. So you know if if you're completely empty, it, it'll take you four to five hours to charge. Um, yep. But but you know that's if you've gone out on a big ride. If if you are just cruising in and around the city, then you know it, it doesn't take you that long anyways. Um, and it also means you don't have to install a, a wall charger or um, for for the first ten anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, over the next 12 months that the charging strategy will, will probably come to life and, and we'll have a much clearer idea of what we'll do for larger scale production mm, interesting interesting I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow up later on send you a whole bunch of photos of, um, of a typical touring rig an array of three phase to adapters and single phase adapters and Menicus adapters <laughs> J series adapters and um, um, and uh, and some thoughts that uh, and lessons that we've learned around that space um, because yep. um, you know uh, it's 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 um, um, being able to charge quickly uh, means you don't have to carry there was a, there was a great everyone i remember in the early days everyone was like oh i wish wish we could get bikes with more battery more battery more more battery more battery more battery and then we went hang yeah. on a sec charges are way smaller and way cheaper than batteries what if we just had bigger charges and as long as we can plug the damn things in and get enough power um we're off and running and and um i listened to a couple of terrific interviews uh, that giles has done on the driven um, uh, one with the founder of Tritium, um, who are very successful Australian charge, uh, uh, charger manufacturers uh, from Brizzy, and you know the power and the f and and the commonality of these free of these chargers is going up and up and up and up and up and up now, and so um, you know um, charging is a is a really key part of this. But let, let's let's move on. So tell me um, what else have we got. So okay, so tell me about the rest of the bike inevitably anyone who buys one of these bikes myself included owned a lot owned, owned about 50 bikes over my life and, and anyone who comes along and wants to jump on on an electric bike has some sense that they want a, a, um, um, a good sense of handling they want reasonable brakes they want reasonable yep. suspension and some people are going to want high end some people want a commuter bike tell us what you're doing around those kinds of things is that again just a matter of matching up the components getting your geometry right and off you go or have you got something special in mind um look at, at the end of the day um motorcycles have been around for a long time um and our intent was never to reinvent the wheel obviously with um weight distributions and and a few other key I suppose specifications and performance specifications of the motorcycle you need to adjust you know your your suspension system to suit and and stuff like that but that's that's all pre-existing technology there's nothing revolutionary there um 
at the end of the day we we just wanted to develop a bike that was comfortable to sit on that that looked really really nice and just had some awesome technology in it um uh, yeah you have to forgive me i'm not a big salesperson like sales and marketing person but but those are the key things like but because of the team that we have like we just all of us i think all of us or a vast majority of us are riders and we just love bikes um right. and so you it's get just it. okay. yeah, we we get it um and but i will say um for anyone that is listening uh market feedback is awesome we love listening to people because and hearing what the issues are and seeing if we can address them that's kind of that's what we need to be doing and we need to be listening to existing riders listening to everyone's problems and see if we can solve them um so yeah please send that information through um yeah 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 it's yeah. it's really interesting it was it was it's really interesting thing to 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 watch over time actually again talking about the zero experience and also a buddy of mine's got a couple of bramos and, you know the bramo had very very high-end suspension technology and brakes and big double disc brembos and you know high-end gear and and handled fabulously and braked stupendously and was very very comfortable um zero on the other hand compromised um up until about 2016 um they had pretty average suspension um the seat is an abomination it is just the most ridiculously <laughs> ridiculously uncomfortable seat um and 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 the, the consequence of that is that everyone who bought one is a rider they've all ridden bikes and yeah, they yeah. ride it and after a little while they just go you know it's a great bike but the suspension's pretty crap i'm really right. pushing the limits of this and and so there's universal disappointment with the comfort level um, with the suspension level and with the braking performance. And they did that to try and offset the higher cost they had associated with the electric powertrain, which is completely understandable. But of course, it diminished the own ownership experience and the riding experience, which takes away. So you kind of, you know, it's a, it's, it's a self-defeating prophecy. So I'm just going to tell you right now, Give me a good seat, Dennis, and give me decent suspension, please. I'll, I'll do my best. We've actually so there, there was a few people that um that sat on the concept bike at the show, and um, it straight away some of the feedback was your seat's too narrow, and it was like okay, we can fix right. that. That's not a problem. Yeah. And even on some of the customers um that we have, I think two out of the four wanted a wider seat. And with these founder editions, because we are, you know, in the production prototype stage, we can actually, we have the capacity to, you know, ask for a wider seat or a slightly different shaped seat for to tailor it to that customer. Um, and the great thing about doing that is, is we're kind of trialing different things and then getting people to ride them and see which seat they like the best. Um, so that's that's kind of one thing that we're doing. Awesome, awesome. Now I'm very conscious of time. We're, we're we're running a little bit over time, so we're going to have to punch through a few more, uh, just three or four more quick questions, uh, yes. and then we'll we'll wrap it up, Dennis. Um, I could talk like this for hours with you, mate. It's been really really. We'll have fascinating. to grab a beer. <laughs> I'll come and see you when I'm in Melbourne next. That's for sure. Um, Sounds good. So um, let me let me pick um, the last three big questions. Um, who's the ideal owner? Who do you think the ideal owner is? I guess talk about the foundation bikes first of all. Who's who are those bikes yep. targeted at? Um, well, this is the thing. Like in a, at the show, um, there's we can't base it on a demographic. Um, one of our customers, 
more, certainly not going to reveal his age, but he's, you know, a, a gentleman um, who has a lot of experience behind him. And then another one of our customers is in his mid to late 20s and just a, a highly successful young man who um, absolutely loves what we're doing. And it's not, there's no one demographic. Um, that is absolutely for sure. Um, but uh, the, the demographic is, however, values-based. Um, right. And that's kind of what we've based our brand around. Um, our kind of whole company mantra is is be inspired. Um, at the end of the nice. day, we, you know, the thing that I talk to my team about the most is passion, pursuit, and persistence. They're kind of the three things that have kept me going. Um, and that's what I'd really like the company to to really convey to people is we all love what we do. We're not afraid to get after it and we don't quit. So... Um, you know, it's like any writer that kind of values that kind of thing. Um, I'm hoping that, that they kind of like our products and, and yeah, just, I'd like to see them on our bikes one day. Beautiful. Second to last question, remote and, um, and rider connectivity. That's something I've really, really enjoyed. Um, on my bike, I can, I can tune it with an app. I can, um, I can get the factory, in fact, dialed my bike up recently. I've got a problem with my bike, as I mentioned to you before we, before we jumped on the air. Uh, and the factory was able to dial it up and do some diagnostic stuff. And that stuff's a real advantage for service. And particularly if you're going to be selling direct, tell me about your remote and rider connectivity strategy. Yes. Well, at, at this stage, it's, it's very, very similar. Um, and it's it's becoming increasingly common it's no longer revolutionary technology i mean you've you've seen and and followed the the development of this technology over time and you know things like the internet of things is just becoming almost the norm um and so something that that is really good about that is that if again obviously with rider consent if we can collect data over time see how riders are riding their bikes see how they like to use them that then actually feeds back into the product development cycle so um, in terms of rider connectivity and, and tuning it with an app like that's that kind of has to be there because if you don't then you know you're behind um, I love that. <laughs> yeah it, it just makes sense i mean having said that we're, we're obviously still early days and in the development phase but we have the plan in place to execute that and hopefully we we are successful um, beautiful but, yeah beautiful and um, last question um, um, all things being equal um, in three years time where do you see yourself and where do you see Savage Motorcycles oh, excellent question three years time um, in three years hmm, there's so many ways I could answer that question because there's so many different things that we need to achieve um, yeah, you got 30 seconds max <laughs> I'll do my best. Um, look, it's essentially a production volume of anywhere between 300 and 3,000 units a year. That's kind of yep. where I want to be. Our strategy is entirely around scalability. Um, and basically, the, the thing I'd love to see most is just people riding our bikes and absolutely loving them. Mm. Oh, here's to that. What a great way to what a great way to finish up, Dennis. That that is the um, that is the joy, that is the thrill, and that is the reason. Um, whenever I talk to my buddies who I've ridden petrol bikes with, who are still on petrol bikes, um, and I go through this inevitable long conversation, I explain to them that 
riding an electric motorbike is absolutely no different. I've got all the joy, I've got all the thrills and less hassle, and that's what it's all about. Having fun, getting out there, riding, and it just happens to be a different technology in the same way that today's bikes are a different technology to what we had 50 years ago. So more power to you, mate. Um, you've got to stay in touch with us. Keep us up abreast of where you're up to. Um, sure. I'm going to come and see you. Um, I'll bring a helmet because um, <laughs> um, I want to ride your te- I want to ride your demo bike. Um, and um, thanks so much for spending your time with us today. I uh, look forward to meeting you, and thank you. That was Dennis Savage, the CEO and founder of Savage Motorcycles, talking with Nigel Morris. And uh, what a fascinating interview that was. And uh, we wish them all the best of luck as they emerge with new products in what is going to be a rapidly evolving industry. And um, even though there's not much of an uptake in electric vehicles in Australia so far, there's certainly a lot of wonderful ideas. Look, at this point, I just want to thank our sponsor, Zero Mo. Um, They've been a great supporter of this podcast. Fascinating uh, project. If you are interested in trying out and borrowing and getting a loan of various different sort of garden and uh, trade equipment that runs all electric, then please get in contact with them now. Next week, I do want to alert our next interview, our next podcast, from Red Dwarf to Fully Charged. It's the interview with the uh, delightful Robert Llewellyn. Um, you may remember him as Crichton from the Red Dwarf series and TVs, or maybe as the host of the BBC series. I think it's the BBC series, or anyway, the UK series Scrap Heap. Well, for the last eight or nine years, he's been the host of a YouTube channel called Fully Charged. And it's just a fascinating story of his efforts to to get electric vehicles talked about and discussed. And um, now he's in an extraordinary position where he's actually a world leader and a, he has a fascinating insight. So I do recommend that um, podcast. That'll be up next week. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy the current episode. And that's all for now. Bye-bye. The Driven Podcast was brought to you by Zero Mo, the non-profit initiative that supports battery electric alternatives for lawn and gardening maintenance. Zero Mo helps transition to cleaner and quieter garden power tools and electric vehicles powered by 100% renewable energy. Visit zeromo.com.au and find out how you can make the switch to zero emission, petrol-free lawn and garden maintenance.